the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. All right, welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. Today, we have the guest, Luke Duffley, who is turning in also from the East Coast, New Hampshire. For those who don't know Luke, he is an Airbnb manager, property owner, overall amazing dude. He's a fellow ISI, Iron Shepherd's Iron Brother, a good friend. And I wanted to bring him on today to inspire you to get involved into property management and homeownership um, and be able to go from there. So Luke, tell us, why do you believe everyone should get into Airbnb property management and home ownership? Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for the intro. Honored to be on here. Well, the biggest thing, if you're an owner, say you have a second home, like a vacation home, you have an amazing opportunity if you're in beach area or the mountains or anywhere that really has any attractions or is secluded, anything nowadays, people are starting to make a lot, a lot of money, $102,000 a year renting out their second homes. And if you're not looking to own and say you don't have a second home that you can rent out, some people actually rent out their first homes. But if you don't have a home and you're renting, there's another thing people do called rental arbitrage. That's not really for everybody. And it can be very risky because you got to work with owners and you got to work with other landlords who don't really understand the rental business. And me, myself, I'm not in that business. I'm thinking about it. If one of my tenants move out, I'm thinking about doing that kind of arbitrage where I'm paying myself the rent and then making money on Airbnb another way. So renting it out. There's a lot of opportunities there, but Rental arbitrage is a great way to get into like the management stuff, but you could also start doing management for a company or other people. And there's a lot, a lot of opportunity, a lot of places to make money. Yeah, I love that. And for those who are listening in, Luke is currently 21 years old, but he's had his own house for a year plus. And so Luke, to help inspire our audience, you know, tell us what's been your journey to being able to own a house at 20 years old. Yeah, almost coming up on a year soon, actually. But it was more of a vision in high school. My dad, he has this house that I grew up in. And uh, we later moved out when he went and built our own house that was a three family. And he said, you know, you could possibly buy this someday if you work hard enough. And if you wanted this, he said, I'd sell it to you. And as a kid, you know, I don't really take it seriously or you don't really understand what it takes to buy a house. And what happened was graduated high school in 2019 and I started playing basketball for Great Bay in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. We played a lot of D3 mid you know, mid community college D3s and I was having a good time with them, but I knew my heart wasn't really set on basketball long term. So when COVID hit, it was a great excuse for me to start working full time and I started reselling towards the end of high school. I was one of those kids who used to sell candy out of his backpack and stuff. So I had a lot of a lot of salesmanship growing up from my dad. Just he used to do uh, flea markets and stuff. So I really learned how to buy something low, sell it high, research stuff. So I got big into that during college. And when COVID hit, I was reselling full time. I was making a thousand, two thousand dollars certain weeks selling sports cards and other sports memorabilia and video games and whatever I could get my hands on. Once I did that, I was also working full-time for my dad, who is also a concrete specialist mason. He does parking garages, sidewalks for hotels and hospitals and other big commercial properties. So learning from a young age to work with my hands and clean stuff and grind, hammer, chip out concrete, throw the concrete in the truck. So I've learned how to drive almost, you know, 20,000 pound vehicles and stuff like that. So I have a lot of experience in the construction side with my dad being that uh, contractor and just a jack of all trades. So what I did was just really try and learn as much as possible from him. And then finally, I had made enough money around 50,000 within three years of working part-time and selling all this stuff from 2018 to 2021 was kind of where I had this just a lot of work and a lot of basketball and 
that was my main focus. So I started asking around friends and banks like, oh, could I get a loan? You know, I have a lot of money in the bank. Can I, can I get a loan? And I, I couldn't get a loan from my local bank. I had all that money in and I couldn't get a loan from Citizens Bank. But my guy there recommended me a loan officer. She does a lot in New Hampshire and Massachusetts, I believe. And she's awesome. And she helped me within, I think, four or five months, we ended up securing the house. There was a lot of a lot of ups and downs because being so young, I didn't have the W-2 history and stuff. So my parents and I had to really kind of figure stuff out on how to get the loan. And But you know, once it got pre-approved, we got it all finished up and I bought the house August of 2021. And I turned 21 on September 4th. So it was like right before my 21st birthday. But to be honest, I should have back bought it back in July and June, but we had so many issues with the underwriting that you know, got pushed at that time, but I still am happy. I bought a house before I could drink. That was the biggest, biggest goal of mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's huge. That's perfect timing too. And I love what you said too, that basically, you know, your, your father offered you a challenge and opportunity that said, Hey, if you can work your butt off for two years straight, we can get you a house. And I love that. That's the kind of incentive that he was able to offer are you usually a guy who, like, how do you know we're in a land of opportunities all the time? Like, how would you know that I want to save up, buy a house versus I want to save up to do X or Y or Z kind of thing? Like, why was that house one of the main motivators for you to work hard and save money? Yeah, I would say for me, it wasn't just the house. You know, I've had a lot of opportunities doing the resale for other people and stuff like that. And I've had, like, I've had family friends, like once you start doing stuff like resell, people are like, oh, can you clear out my garage? And so, you know, and you're just, no, I, that's not going to make me enough money. So <laughs> I've always been lucky with the opportunity, but the fact to, uh, my dad had the house still and his father had bought it for his, uh, my dad's grandparents to live in. It was a, a big motivator for me because I want it to be kind of like my spot here in New Hampshire. So Manchester, we're in the heart of the city. And it's, there's a lot of memories here and I'm right near my old high school. And, and just, it's a, it's a great spot to be, but yeah, the motivation part, it was huge for me. Like I said, it's a family fairly heirloom and I just, I want it so bad that it kind of just did it. You know, it's, it's hard to say exactly what happened, but yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. That's awesome. And and tell us about, um, I know you said you struggled with the underwriting process. You know, you work, you know making $50,000 plus in three years is amazing at 19, 20, 18 years old. That's pretty good. Is there anything you wish you had learned earlier to become a house owner even earlier? Yeah, I would say it actually flipped that in terms of like what got me to that point was the savings and being frugal. Like I, I have friends, of course, right? But I didn't go out a lot with them when friends would go to parties or whatever. I kind of just kept working. Like I had nights where I was reselling in college where I'd stay up to 2, 3 a.m. posting sports cards and stuff like that because I got an opportunity to sell someone's collection for them. It was a huge thing to do because you have lots of cards that are worth Three five hundred dollars sold a thousand Jordan cards for nine hundred dollars during the peak of the sports card industry. It's wow. like if I didn't take that time then to sell it, it would be worth five hundred now, which is crazy, right? Or <laughs> yeah, X Y Z, right? So it's something I would say I wish I did more though. Is you can always say you wish you worked more, but then would your mental health be where it is now, right? Because I needed those breaks from those two three a.m. nights, so. For the biggest thing for me is I'm always really hard on myself. So I just need to tell myself to kind of cool down, not be so worried about certain things. And something else would be just the fact that being able to not worry about stuff that won't matter. In high school, right, you'd say, oh, this gossip, right? It's somebody like someone. Well, it's not going to matter in 10 years. I have friends now that are now that I bought the house, you know, you hit me up and say, oh, let's let's go get a beer or whatever. It's like, yeah, I don't care what happened back then in high school. I just want to see people again and hope they're doing well. So that's the biggest thing for me is kind of forgetting the past or what's happening now won't matter later, you know, if it's so petty, right? <laughs> for the most part, that's what it, it's mostly, you know, that type of petty stuff. 
So, yeah. so things you wish you knew earlier is just like the fact that cards can rise in value over time. So you would have um, held on to some of those cards longer. And I guess maybe doing, I mean, it sounds like you already did a, a bunch of research on buying and reselling cards and stuff like that. Like, do you wish you would have done more or brought, or brought a, on a mentor or like invested in a program to help you with card reselling or anything else down those avenues? Yeah, I would say uh, the fact of I would have I would have gotten a couple cards graded. The fact that PSA is still on backlog from well, two years ago. I think people have stuff that's been sitting in PSA for over a year. PSA is a grading company. They grade sports cards and any type of cards really. And I had a couple Kobe rookie cards that I sold and probably should have kept them, but I still got three four hundred dollars for them. So it wasn't it wasn't a lose, but. At the same time, they would be worth probably in the thousand dollar range. So it's, uh, <laughs> it, it really depends on if they graded eight or not, probably nines, because you know you got to invest twenty to thirty dollars per card usually, and they like bulk. So if you send them, you know, in that, but they've kind of changed their pricing now. I think they do a lot based off. I you know I haven't been in the card market for two years now, but they base a lot of stuff off how much the card is worth, like how much they'll make you pay. So. It's a lot of it's a lot of stuff I didn't really want to get into. I was more trying to move product. So no, I love that. Um, yeah, you saw that motivation, momentum to save up and get the house. And obviously, you know, it's, you know, we live in America, and obviously, there's fifty thousand dollar houses and there's fifty million dollar houses. <laughs> what would you say to someone that's like, hey, I just want to own a property, even if it's fifty thousand dollars, I want it to count. Like, what, what would you say to someone like that? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing for me is bought it from my parents. I still paid almost retail of what the house was worth. So, and, you know, he had promised to me at a lower price anyways, and it ended up being more than what he promised because the market, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, tough, it was, tough love. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, but it was fair. So I can't complain. So, but for me, it's more the fact of, I think connections are so important, like finding, meeting new people and you never know what type of market sales are happening. Right. So a lot of people, especially will go to like, they'll find that rundown house and go knock on that door and say, Hey, you know, I'd like to buy your house, cash, no, no inspection, whatever. Right. And certain people do that and buy and flip and stuff. But if you want to buy a house, I would most likely try and find older people or someone that (laughs) someone that is trying to move and you know, try and just talk to people. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hint at the fact you want to buy their house, but at least know like what their motive is, what they're going through and say, well, if if you ever want to sell this, I'm, I'm more than welcome. I've done that with uh, cars and stuff, but I haven't had the chance to buy a car yet from someone, but I've put that note in their head so that someday they might call me up and say, Hey, I want to sell this car, you know, whatever. Right. So and done the same thing with resale too. I'll say, you know, I told a friend, I was like, I went over his house and he was like uh, cleaning out his closet. And I saw all these Legos. I'm like, dude, you, these Legos are worth like a thousand dollars. And he said, no way, really? And he had all the sets, you know, still in little baggies. And later on he went and ended up selling those sets and made, uh, I think, $1,800 from all of us. And it's like, dude, you know, I told you and I did not get a commission, but doing stuff like that. Well, if, if you just try and help people, it'll come back to you. Like your motive shouldn't be, it's for me, but I think being very selfless to people can lead to a lot of opportunities. And I've seen that in my life, just being a servant to people and trying to help people and not take advantage of them has led to those opportunities. I love that. Yeah, that's talking about the importance of building relationships. Like anyone can build a house or a car, but if you can build a relationship with someone, like you might be able to help them, like get rid of that car house faster, or they might be able to help you by giving you a better deal or something. And so awesome point. And that does kind of lead me to my next question too is can you ever be too young to be a property owner? Like let's say you start uh, running a lemonade stand at six years old and you save up for six years and twelve years old, you somehow have $50,000 of lemonade sales. Like, can you use that for a dime payment at a house at 12 years old? I would say that's really hard because from a technically, no, you, you're not people, you know, inherit stuff, but I don't know about buying the fact that for me, it wasn't the fact I was too young. It's just the fact that the bank didn't see I had enough, you know, W2 uh, history. Yes. If I had a lemonade stand and grossed 50,000, they'd be wanting the receipts of every single lemonade sale. But 
I don't know if I can provide that. And that was kind of the issue with me with the resale was I was doing all the resale and whether I was selling on Facebook or selling online, you know, you don't really have the receipts. Now that with the new tax laws, they've, they're now implementing uh, tax returns for online sales. So during my time, there was none of that. So I didn't have to claim it. So interesting. Okay. But, so uh, yeah, so, <laughs> for, yeah, but back, but now everything is now, uh, you have to claim everything you make online over $500. So for people saying too young, I think it really matters on if someone's helping you manage or you have a mentor that you're with that, you know, is telling you what you should do. And that's the thing, right? Is everything I've learned from my parents is, or whoever it's like, is they're telling me what they did wrong and I'm not trying to do the same thing. So I'm just trying to learn as much as possible. Well, what did you do wrong and what did you do right? So if I can implement those same tactics or strategies or systems, then I can improve drastically more than anybody else. I think if you have that mentor at a, at a young age that's teaching you how to sell or how to make lemonade, and <laughs> or then if you have someone that is a realtor, it's like you could just be under their wing and try and learn as much as possible. So it's, it's funny because of the TikTok stuff I've seen kids my age are becoming realtors and becoming some of the best realtors in their firm or whatever realtor group is called. It's like, well, maybe they have someone that's teaching them and telling them, well, you should be doing this and not that. And yeah, so there's just a lot of opportunity as a young person to really grow and not make the same mistakes as other people is the biggest thing for me. So technically, yes, you can buy a house at 18 or <laughs> younger, whatever, 10, if you're selling the lemonade. That's interesting. No, that's good to know. Cause I know like, yeah, as long as you have the capital and the proof of income and you have a good relationship with the banker who will do underwriting for you, that, that sounds like it's all it takes. So that, that's good to know, 21st century. And so speaking of property ownership, um, let's go into Airbnb a little bit more. So let's say you want to find a new Airbnb property to own and make money from today, starting from scratch. How would you go about it? So I'll just say where we're invested right now. We're invested in middle Southwest Florida by Fort Myers and Punta Gorda. So how we got to that neck of the woods, you could say, being in, from New Hampshire is the fact that we had a lot of family that are moved down to Florida or people have condos, vacation area. So it's just a no brainer to buy something down there. And how we go about it usually is we have a 1031 exchange, which my parents own a couple uh, rental properties. So what we've done in the past is sell those properties and buy a another property down in Florida or Gulf Shores. So for us, the first two we bought was more for my parents' retirement and kind of start a base down there. So we bought a house with a huge garage that can fit an RV or two RVs if we wanted. And it's more the fact that we can store all our work supplies down there. My dad and I have done multiple 28-hour trips down to Florida and Alabama. We've driven straight down there. He's pretty, he's more determined than me. That's the reason why I'm at where I am. It's just mm -hmm. the fact he's been able to push me. So do, setting up that base down there, we then decided to move to Gulf Shores. And um, that's because that was a, a B, B minus, B plus market now. It was more of a B minus because of the uh, rundownness of the past hurricanes that really had really hit those back in, I think, 2018. So there was a lot of rebuild and during COVID, uh, really stunt, stunted rebuild process. So people started really capitalizing on the rents down there. So we were lucky enough to secure a beach house with one of our 1031 exchanges. We bought one right on the beach and we were able to make a little over $100,000 in, I think, less than six months. So wow. that was uh, this huge summer bookings because of COVID and because the fact people were trying to escape from everything. So we're really lucky to get those rents. And we are now buying two more in one in Fort Morgan. Well, the one we have in Gulf Shores is technically Fort Morgan, but the other one we're buying is in Gulf Shores. So we have now three in Gulf Shores. And the biggest thing for us was why Gulf Shores, why Florida? Because two things, we use this software called AirDNA and AirDNA kind of shows you the average rents in the area. Like I said, with Gulf Shores was a, 
a B B plus market. I think they're slowly rising because of the fact that people are buying down there and renovating and really improving the houses. Now that people can really pick up on the development of the area has really improved. So there's a lot of building going on, a lot of construction. And the fact is it's, yeah, it's just a huge vacation market. hundred days of summer is where you're going to make your most money. And during the off season, there's still a softball tournaments. We've we just had a booking yesterday. Someone's coming down for a softball tournament with their kids. So we just onboarded a cottage. Well, it's a house, but it's called the Cozy Cottage. And, you know, we have four guests. It's a smaller one. And we're still getting over a little over $200 a night right now. And, you know, our mortgage is only $2,000. So if we oh. can get, you know, $1,000, $2,000 in you know, a week, it's going to be a very profitable, you know, small little place. So. The big thing, like I said, is using AirDNA and then looking at different areas to invest in. So a lot of people, there's a lot of saturated markets, but there's still people that make a lot, a lot of money. The issue now is, is your buying price more than what you're going to make, right? People can are making two, three, four hundred $400,000 a year in these very saturated markets like Miami and Gatlinburg, Tennessee, the Smokies, Big Bear, California. People are there's just a lot of areas that people are getting thousand, two thousand dollars a night. If you have a, a cabin that sleeps twenty or, you know, houses that sleep ten to fifteen and that's, you know, in uh Miami, right? Or whatever. So whatever you're looking at, it's more the fact of is the purchase price and the rents are they gonna equal out and are you actually gonna turn a profit? So don't I just wouldn't go out and buy the biggest house and ask the most money because you could be in the wrong area. So there's a lot of variables to it, but I can go a little bit more in depth if you want me to. Well, yeah. So I know. So, so like what you said. So hey, how do you find a house today? You're like, well, sounds like you said you ask family, ask friends. Like, do they have a house that they want to rent a room out in, or do they have an extra house that they want to be able to um, share profits with you on? But I know, yeah, the biggest uh, resistance to getting involved with Airbnb is like, well, I don't want to share my home with someone, or I need that consistency of a monthly rent paying person to to be there consistently. So how do you help people overcome those objections of wanting consistency or being okay opening up? home to a stranger. Yeah, I would say the biggest thing for Airbnb is you have to clear out all personal items. Of course, when you're renting is you got to have it locked away in an owner's closet. I wouldn't want to be looking at someone's family photos while I'm at their house, but I think it's more for safety and everything else. But the biggest thing is if you want to say your primary home, right? If you want to rent out your primary home, I don't really know the tax stuff with that because you know we're renting out actual properties, not our second homes or whatever. So they're rental properties to us, they're not a, a second home. So with uh, primary homes, it, it'd be more the fact if you're in an area like uh, in outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and you can sleep eight to 12 people, you're looking at four to $500 a night. You're looking at a lot of money in certain areas. And even in smaller houses will rent out for more. You know, I don't, I don't really know the areas, but just having a pool or just having certain amenities like a hot tub and stuff can be really helpful. And our views pay good money too. So us being on the beach helped us get, if we weren't on the beach and we were one house back, probably would have made half as much as we did. But just being 500 feet closer to the beach and that view of the ocean, just waking up and stepping right out to that is priceless. But we put a price on it. But in terms of everyone else behind us, they can't advertise that. So being able to find the little things in your house that could add more value to your property would is key to if you really want to start hosting is find out what is popular around your area. You really want to time if you wanted to rent out, let's say Fort Myers, Florida, right? Where we're at. So if you wanted to capitalize, say you want, if you live down there, you'd be like, well, the baseball, even though the MLB stuff is kind of on hold right now, they have spring training down there and people we've had baseball players rent our house and it's like, well, they're not paying for it. So if we increase the price, you know, a hundred dollars, maybe we'll still get a rental down there because they need housing. And yeah. the hotels are going to be full and every, everything else if you got 20 teams down there. It's more the fact of uh, timing certain events. You know, I know people in Louisville, in Kentucky, that during the Derby, they were making $15,000 a night, which is wow. insane. Yeah, 15000 a night, which 
I, I can, he's uh, this guy named Eric in our mastermind group is insane. He's made some really good money. And that's another big thing for people that want to get into this. You need to start joining Facebook groups. Really, like I said, finding a mentor is huge. So I have someone training me and Onores right now, which is our management software that we just started using. And it's very crucial to start using a software when you start getting two, three, four properties, five. You know, I'm at four and we're going to unload a fifth. And I'm still learning how to be this new software and how to send automatic messages and stuff and create a rental agreement and have things send out for me. And it's a good learning curve. And I'm happy to take on this challenge. And the biggest misconception of Airbnb or any rent renting out your house is, oh, it's going to be easy. We, we just think, oh, it's, it's passive income. It's far from it. That's why I said it's a lot easier to have someone manage something for you you know, try and do all the work. So there's, there's really a lot that goes into to this business, but there's a lot of people that try and sell a easy hundred dollar program or whatever. Right. So yeah, you got to be careful. That's why the free groups on Facebook called like build short-term wealth university is, is great. This guy, Bill Faith is probably one of the best in the uh, short-term rental market right now. And I think that's faith with a A E T H faith. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not faith as in faith. It's faith in... Yeah, Facebook group uh, called Build Short-Term Wealth. Yeah. Going back to the objections, though, like what, what do you say to someone who, like, you think they have a perfect property on a beach, they only use it, like, I don't know, a few months out of the year, you, you're confident you can rent it out the other months of the year. How do you tell them, like, hey, I think it's worth uh, renting out your place or it's uh, worth the... Even though it's not... And uh, if you did want to rent it out, it's worth having different people come through and rent it out. Like, how do you convince that person to agree to do an Airbnb deal with you? Yeah, that's the one thing that I need to start working on. It's doing that, right? Finding out how to do that. But one of the things that I've heard people, how they propose is, I think the fact if you just tell people like, like I did with my friend, like you could probably make $100,000 renting this out for six months. You just tell someone that they would be like, whoa, really? Like, you know, my mortgage is $100,000 or whatever, right? Or yeah. So it's, I think once you put, start putting numbers in front of people and just say like, hey, I can do all this for X amount of money or whatever. And, you know, you're not going to have to worry about anything. Then people would be really, really interested if they, you know, if they want to make that extra money. But like I said, I've talked to a friend about it because like he has, he has a house in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, less than five minute walk to the beach, Fort Lauderdale by the sea. He's, he's on a, on the canal and they got a nice, you know, four bedroom house and probably rent over a thousand dollars a night right now and uh, telling him that and his mom's you know very discouraging like oh you know but this is our family house blah blah blah. it's like well like if you ever wanted to you just let me know you know i would more than happy help you guys out and do that but yeah it's it's a big thing of uh really depends on who you're trying to target are you trying to target someone that's retired and don't care or do they want to make the extra money and uh, you know some people are more savvy some people are more kind of over it at, at certain ages but I think anybody that that you can talk money with and isn't like very frugal or whatever, if they're willing to take a risk, because, you know, of course, anything's a risk, like your first renter could destroy the house and burn it down. <laughs> Not saying it hasn't happened, but, <laughs> yeah. but I'm very confident myself now that I've, I've dealt with bad guests that I know what people entail and I call every guest. I'm going to, you know, I, I tell someone that this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to have... I'm not going to tell them I'm going to send automatic messaging, but I say I send messaging to guests. You know, the biggest thing for me, I know we're going to hit on this later probably is uh, like what's one of the most important thing is probably a cleaner. Your cleaner is almost as important as you are because them having a certain standard for your house is crucial, especially if they can be a bigger part to your system like if they can do a concierge surf service or have a go get like a gift basket for you or can be on call to fix a small issue can be amazing because i'm uh, hosting from new hampshire and you're in florida like who am i going to call right it's we uh we're very fortunate to have amazing cleaners and having friends down in florida that can help fix issues or but you know we've had to fly down there and fix stuff ourselves before so we're not perfect. And it's been a great two years learning this business and 
trying to really grow. There's a lot of variables that go into it. Like I think just being confident and telling someone like, I will make you this much or, or just showing them the market and saying, look on air DNA, these people are getting $500 a night or $300 a night and they don't even have a pool and you have a heated pool or whatever. Right. It's, it's just, it's just saying stuff like that. And cause the big thing is then you're, you're able to, well, maybe they're getting $500 a night and they do have a heated pool. We need to be at 499 or we can be a little higher because ours is more luxurious or we have better beds and better amenities. And once you get people rented and we just had someone book today and she was like, well, you know, you're a little far away from the area, but your reviews are great. So I'm going to book with you guys because anything else closer could be more expensive or uh, just not as great. And that's, that's a big thing. Like I said, our cleaning, our reviews, we've had a lot of great, like this place was clean. This place was spotless or whatever. Right. So having that type of right off the bat has really helped us uh, probably two or three other people say the same thing. And we've had return guests. So I, th- I just think confidence is key and getting someone that can help clean or do the cleaning for you and having a list of on-call people, plumber, electrician, this, that, whatever, uh, is a must-have. Take some photos of your house and post them on Airbnb and say, well, I'm ready to go. You know, that's, mm-hmm. Some people have done that and they've made probably a okay amount of money. I don't, I don't really hear much about those people, but you know that they're not maximizing their business. And that's the goal of this is to, we're here to make the most money possible. So, Yeah. And I know you have some good, uh, bad tenant stories, like can back at those and, and, and advising other people. Like, how do you go about dealing with quote unquote bad tenants as a Airbnb? So it's really situational how you deal with people. Because the number one thing, if you're renting on Airbnb or Verbo, is always message on the platform. If there's an issue that arises and the guest calls you and they say, hey, the pipe's leaking, right? Well, or, or I clogged the toilet. <laughs> I wouldn't like, and it's overflowing. Like I would have them sit, send a picture of that into Airbnb of that photo. And so if something's their fault, then I'll be able to, uh, and like, say I have a plumber go over there and fix it. Well, he just charged me $300 to go and clog the toilet because 150 to call him, even have him pick up the phone and another 150 to go over there per hour, which he probably fixed it in five minutes. So if I get an invoice and, oh, well, the guest kid stuck a toy down the toilet. And of course, like they admit it. And I say on the app, like, hey, my plumber found this. And they're like, oh, well, my kid put that down there. Well, sometimes the guest will pay for it. And sometimes the guest won't pay. You can have Airbnb pay. We've had the guest pay for issues and we've had Airbnb pay for issues. So like I said, it can be very situational. But what I've learned from dealing with bad guests or tenants is it is important if it's clearly a party group or whatever, you need to go through Airbnb to get rid of them. It's crucial. If it's someone's not happy, then you need to call them and you need to be personable and say, I'm sorry, but I wouldn't always go for a refund right away. It really depends like what they're complaining about. Like if we've had a cleaning issue, like we've had small cleaning issues, like, you know, like I said, the cleaner is so important. Well, we've had bad cleaners too. And that cleaner we had, she, um, they, they, the guests, I think opened up the couch mattress. We had the mattress and the couch pull out couch and there was a blood stain on the couch on the mattress. Right. And it's like, well, that it's a small, like a small, you know what I'm saying? Like something like this big, like I said, they sent us a picture of it. We're like, you know, you call them, we talk to them. We're so sorry. Well, we're going to refund your cleaning fee because that's unacceptable. We have a standard blah, blah, blah. Then our cleaner goes over there and cleans it and fixes it. And then she confronted her cleaners because, you know, she has other cleaners working for her. And then she's going to deal with that issue on her own. So that's how we work as a system. And we work, I mean, work as a team to keep our systems tight. So that doesn't happen again. And like, and we haven't had an issue like that since, but now I know what to do. If that happens again, it's kind of the same thing, right? We're going to either refund half your cleaning fee or whole cleaning fee, probably your whole cleaning fee. If it's, if it's bad, bad, I wouldn't say half, but probably whole. Cause uh, I think it's the fact that people don't expect that type of service. Like if a lot of people have, I've seen a lot of bad reviews in our area and they're like, well, there was hair in this tub and there was 
pa- we didn't even have paper towels at the house and they're gonna drop give you a three-star cleaning you know rating because you have certain categories cleanliness so it's mm-hmm. like people will when they're emotional and stuff they're gonna make emotional decisions right and they're gonna be irrational so being able to kind of call someone and try and you know comfort them and say you're sorry and you know figure out the problem is way more important than just saying oh i'm sorry and that's it right texting that so I think people's expectations aren't the best, so it's always almost under promise, over deliver. But we're kind of trying to change our thing to now have that standard of high quality, where before we weren't always the best. Now we're trying to be the best and say, if you don't have this, then your money back, or that you know we're going to fix the problem. We're going to send fifty dollar gift card to a nice restaurant or whatever. So for those types of stuff, it's people are unhappy then you got to do something. You can't just say, oh, I'm sorry. And then we, we've we been fortunate enough not to have a, a guest um, try and take advantage of that. You know, some people in the past have dealt with like scammers, you know, get here. Oh, it's disgusting. And they're like, I cleaned this myself. I did the work. You know, I know this place is clean. You know, people have dealt, you know, and I feel so bad for those people because we've been, I think it's more of the fact once you start renting higher, once your rates are higher, you're not going to get a lot of people fighting you over $500, you know. It's probably the biggest issue uh, for me in terms of the lower end Airbnb stuff is you kind of get that you get people that just don't care and are going to treat you like crap and try and take advantage of you or whatever. So the higher end, you know, at this beach house, I had the least issues at the beach house, you know, the one that did 100,000. It was, I had the most issues at, the lower end house, $199, dollars a night house compared to a thousand dollar a night house. So, but it can be very situational. It's more the fact that, you know, I didn't vet as well as I, I do now. And I need people to tell me, you know, why are you coming? We had people just say, oh, I'm coming down to see family. Well, then 12 of the family come to the house and stay at the house when it's the six person house, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. well, that's not correct. You know, if I have that in writing on Airbnb, I have a right to kick you out. If I don't have that in writing and and you lie to me and, and then, well, you're not lying to me. You just do whatever you want. I'm kind of now saying it's your word against mine, you know, situation or look at the cameras and tell me there that isn't four, five cars and one car is on the grass, you know, situation. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. That's interesting learning about yeah, different contents you come in. I like what you said too about, you know, it's situational, do your best to have um, customer service, make sure things are listed in the Airbnb apps. You can have receipts so that Airbnb can back you up as well as needed. Um, and it's interesting too, that the troubles you've had have been with people who pay 150 to 200 bucks a night versus people who pay 500 or a thousand a night. So that's interesting uh, uh, about that as well. And then uh, another thing too is, I mean, yeah, you, you currently have some some tenants at the house you own and various things like that. How do you make sure to command the respect of them at such a young age? Yeah, I'm, I'm really fortunate to have great tenants. I have, you know, a lady upstairs above me. I'm in the middle floor, and then a, a teacher below me. So uh, both of them, you know, middle aged. You know, it's it's hard being 20 and going to their door and being like, hey, can you move your car or whatever. Right. And, you know, not trying to sound, especially right away when I was, I was still 20 and I had to write up, you know, a rent raise or rental agreement, especially the rent raise was scary for me because with buying a house, your mortgage is more, you know, my parents, whether they're paying $1,800 a month, you know, I'm now paying 2,500 and now it's 27. Thank you for the taxes, New Hampshire. They just went Mm -hmm. up. So and, and they just had the thing in the paper, just like everywhere else, the rents are going higher and higher. And I don't know if it's like that in New York, but I actually it is. But, um, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, it's stuff is going higher and higher and, and uh, I, it's hard to justify, you know, raising the rent. So I had, you know, a tenant, you know, when I, when I first raised the rent, it was scary for me because, you know, especially when I was talking to the teacher, I was, I was very nervous. I was like, I, I totally botched my kind of like, Hey, I'm sorry. You know, I, uh, you know, here's a, a notice that I'm raising the rent, you know, $50. <laughs> I could have rate, you know, I could have raised it a lot more, but I, I just felt that was kind of where I should raise it. And 
And then the floor upstairs, she's very nice. So I had no issues talking to her. But especially um, the biggest thing for me, though, is I do have a roommate and he's, you know, 19. And I'm 21. So we're both young guys and both religious. And he's got a serious girlfriend and he's working full time as a renovator. He renovates, you know, bathrooms, kitchens. So he's not in school. He's, you know, working full time. And it's kind of hard living with, you know, you're living with someone and, it's just hard because for me, it's like I, you know, you do certain something a certain way and he's doing something another way. And you, I kind of want to tell him to do stuff, but at the same time, I'm not trying to parent him or landlord him around. You know, it's like, you know, I had to write a rental, I had to write, a, a, you know, a roommate agreement with him. So, you know, we both understand, you know, I'm paying for all the utilities and everything, and you're just paying me the rent to live here. So, uh, we're not splitting utilities, but, you know, we split food. He, he buys his own food and I buy my own food. And sometimes I'll buy, you know, stuff together depending on what it is. But for the most part, we have our own glasses and, you know, certain cook stuff. So it's very cool to experience something different, even though I've been I've been working in Alabama the past couple months in Florida. So I haven't really been home to experience uh, living at home, which is I enjoy living in a house by myself for sure, or with, with my buddy. So yeah, back to uh, like the respect stuff is, I think just being like personable and still being able to like be serious in certain moments, like say, Hey, like I can't have you park here. Uh, I need you. You know, I, I haven't had, it, like neither of them are allowed. It's great. Like no, no one's making too much noise or playing loud music. If anything, I'm the one watching a movie and trying to be aware of how loud, like early on when I didn't have a carpet and stuff and watching the movie, it, you know, the sound through hardwood in these old 1900 houses, there's not insulation between the roof and uh, the floor and the ceiling. So uh, it's, if you, you know, drop something, you could probably hear it on the first floor. It's more the fact of, uh, like I said, still being serious. And then just that they understand that I'm, I'm not here and agree. Like, I'm not trying to just uh, collect their rent and say, you know, bye or whatever. Like I, I, I still, if I see them, I still try and be nice and talk to them. Like I've had good conversations with my, my third floor tenant and, you know, learning about the first floor, just, you know, he's had some issues, you know, like with his back and trying to engage in conversation has been, been good for me. Cause I just, you know, I don't want to come off as a young kid who has no idea what he's doing, you know, I'm constantly checking my bills and making sure everything's going smoothly and I'm not withdrawing too much money from my separate, you know, house account that I ha- I, I run all my bills out of. It's uh, And I think they know like this oh, past summer, I, I spent the whole summer painting my house. So, you know, I was painting the house before I bought it and I was, they saw me working on the house and they saw me work on my apartment. It's funny because my tenant on the first floor, I just signed a lease with him. He just, he's just signed a lease and he came upstairs to sign it. And he was like, Oh my gosh, this looks so great. You know, I didn't want to joke with him cause I was, I'd work, you know, late at night till like midnight. So I had to be very careful then. Oh, all those late nights paid off, you know, sorry about the noise, you know, but he was for the most part, a good sport about me still working on that house. So I was um, on the house. So I was, I was very fortunate to be able to work on it almost full time while I, I was, I was still working, you know, for my parents and, uh, yeah, I didn't, we didn't even talk about this, how I, I completely renovated my whole apartment before I moved in. So oh, that's right. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All your so, contracting work paid off. Yeah. yeah. Tiling, paint, epoxy uh, countertops, you know, restaining my, the woodwork and stuff. I, I, and then vinyl flooring, I did all the flooring. So it was, you know, it's a lot of work. I spent three months straight on it. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little later, but they understand that this is a, you know, I'm, this was a family house. This is not a, I'm buying this and, you know, la dee la dee da I'm going to blast music or whatever. So this is a thing that I I care about and I want to improve it. And, you know, rent might go up, you know, for people in the future. Cause I, I can't control my taxes, you know, <laughs> I wish I yeah. could say, hey, you know, and that, that was, that's been the biggest thing for me. And, you know, at some point I'm going to get a, th- a second roommate and that will help pay, you know, my remaining, I think right now I'm $300. I pay a month and technical rent 
since uh, the mortgage is paid off, but you know, my utilities and uh, heat is crazy expensive. So it's like 240 a month. I have a, uh, what's it called? A, I'm on the, not the assistance. It's like, I pay a flat rate a month. Okay. So I'm not paying uh, like $600 during the winter a month because that's how much it is. So they end up breaking it up. So the thing for me is I, I, I really care and I'm, I'm trying to be respectful and I'm trying to keep stuff clean. And there's a package outside, I bring it in for them and I'll like knock on their door and give it to them sometimes. Oh, so nice. it's, it's uh, you know, I'm just trying my best and, and they don't have to take out the trash and they don't have to shovel when we get snow. So it's <laughs> a good it's, deal. Uh, yeah. It's a win-win for all of them, really. So yeah. and they're not paying for heat. That's what I'm saying. So it's like there you go. Um, yeah. yeah. So like I have future plans to split off the heat and have everything separated so everybody will pay for their own heat. You know, because as an owner, you know that's the future for me is to make that so I'm paying as little as possible and making as much money as possible. So, but right now it's you know I'm focusing on getting everything else done. And clearing out my resale business that <laughs> I'm, I'm wholesaling off right now. So, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that brings us to the end of the interview here. And we'll wrap up here with some uh, final questions. What is the one takeaway you want someone to have when it comes to running and, and owning Airbnb properties successfully? I kind of touched on that uh, earlier was if you're going to self-manage, you need that cleaner. You need that five-star cleaner. You need that electrician, plumber, you need these people in your back pocket. So when something happens that you can just call someone and have that issue taken care of as quick as possible, because that's the biggest thing for people is they really like if, if they say something's broken and you can fix that within that day, they'll be astonished. Like, especially, you know, because a lot of Airbnbs, you're, you're doing st- you're renting out on weekends, you know, that's the biggest big time for people. So if something breaks and you're able to get someone there on the weekend, you know, they'll, they'll be happy, you know, and, but some people are, you know, they're hard to please, or like I said, they want to take advantage of you. So, you know, even us, we've, we've gotten a four, just one four star review so far out of 40. It's a part of life for, you know, I think another takeaway it's uh you got to find a mentor. You got to join these groups. You got to start asking questions and, to be honest, sometimes you don't even need to ask the questions. People have asked it for you. I'm, you know, I'm in these groups for the past two years. And like I said, people are like, oh, uh, what is AirDNA? What is Price Labs or whatever? It's like, well, if you go and like search that in the search bar in the group, you will see a thousand messages about it. And Price Labs is our pricing tool that we use to have that predicts those when spring training, when's, you know, the Kentucky Derby, if we had one, you know. When those big events are here, the prices will increase twenty dollars, fifty dollars. You know, those are those are really big for us. Is using certain pricing tools, and if you do end up start managing, you know, I'd say more than two properties, two or three, I would I would get a management software in. Or oh, Airbnb is coming out with certain tools, like uh, they they already have automatic messaging out and stuff. But um, I, that's what I had set before I started the uh, management software. But, it is really insane how well these the software is becoming. Just the fact that I can, you know, control the thermostat on my phone. Uh, you know, I deal with old people all the time and they're like, how does this thing work, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, don't worry, just tell me what you want it. 69, okay, 68, whatever. <laughs> there it is, 75. Yeah. You know, I just, I just <laughs> turn it on my phone and they're like, okay, it's working. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's nice to be able to do that, so... I'd say another thing too is um, if you do, you know, messaging people is always, I always have a positive attitude, you know, regardless of if they ask me if, if it's like, like, you know, I got a question today. It was like, or, you know, how far away is the beach from the house? And it's like, well, if you look on the map, the house is right here and the beach is over there. It's like, or, you know, that's the Florida house, right? It's, it's a 40, you know, they're like, how oh, what's the drive? And I'm like, you can see it there. no. I say, hi, thank you so much for contacting me. Beach is 34 miles, 50, uh, it's like 30 to 50 minutes, depending on traffic times. You know, and please let me know. And if they're asking about it, the other house, I'll even include, well, if you don't want to go to the beach, the local harbor's here. You know, we got a, a bird sanctuary and a park here, this and that. And 
there's I can always try and add extra to certain stuff if if it's applicable to that yeah. area. So it's it's always having that positive attitude and not just saying, look at the map or whatever, right? You don't wanna it is that customer service, it's that uh that extra positivity. Like I said, just being able to just be selfless and you know, talk to I've spent time with certain guests just talking on the phone for an hour about random stuff just so like they they feel like they're connecting with someone and for me yeah. it, it is it is actual connection I, I talk a lot it's it's nice to be able to just burn some extra calories with someone and uh learn about someone else's experiences so you know i met a guy that's really great and he's booked our house in you know alabama or beach house and he's probably going to book again this year and he yeah. keeps texting me like, Hey, I'm going to come back. You know, it was great talking to you. And he's also like an entrepreneur. So we oh, really perfect. connected. Yeah. So that's, that's, what's cool is he now wants to come back because I called him and talked to him. So. Yeah. I love that. Going above and beyond for your, your customers and clients. And I know like some people ask us questions that can make us face palm, like, Oh, the answer's right in front <laughs> oh, of you, man. but just having the patience <laughs> to do that. That's awesome. All right. Well, well, Luke, thank you so much uh, for inviting your insights and advice. How can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more and contact you and and ask more? Yeah. My public profile on Instagram is just Luke underscore Duffley. It's just my name with the underscore. If they want to reach out there, I can give them my number and we can talk. But I don't really have it. I haven't really uh, spent a lot of time on social media recently with all the work. I posted the house on there. So if people are interested to see what I bought, I need to post an update of the, uh, of it finished, but I'm not, I'm still not done the cabinets, the paint in the summer. So I got uh, a little bit more work to do before I make my final post of the uh, update. So uh, stay tuned. No summer 2022. I'll have, (laughs) I'll have uh, the house pictures of my apartment updated. Well, we're very excited. Well, thank you again, Luke, for coming on today. Uh, make sure to tune in next week. For As of right now, we're going to do rapid results uh, every Thursday at 3. So uh, this was Luke Duffley, everyone. Thank you again for coming on, and we'll see you all next week. Cheers, all. See you. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.